Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnoffs, and this is the February Room. We were among those lucky souls who got to feel this one at her wildest. A clan of whitewater guides at large on a beast uncaged. Jacked on that big water cocktail of dust mouth fear and raw joy when we pulled into camp on our first night. That is an excerpt from our guest column, which has graced the back page of Bugle magazine since the advent of email. As editor, he was at the helm. But the back page is more his style. And now, unencumbered by employment, he can freely roam the back trails and back eddies, gun or rod in hand. Dan Crockett, welcome to the show. Oh, I appreciate it, man. It's great to be here with you. 
Well, man, we we really are stoked to have you here. There's a lot to a lot to listen to, um, and and you know how about them Huskers? The Huskers are all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dive in. Uh, let's hear a story, Dan. Wow. I know you got a, I know you got a few. I do have a few. Uh, I guess I should start out by saying that that uh, I came to fishing about as crude as you could come to it. I started out. My dad was a trot liner as was his dad and his dad before him. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's you run a uh, about a 500-pound test cord all the way across a river, put on little staging lines, a couple feet on those. And what we fished with were uh, live carp, about the size of my hand. And our quarry was the flathead catfish. You know, people think catfish are, are uh, trash fish that just eat eat stinky stuff. But flatheads, it's live. live. They want to hunt, hunt down their own stuff and eat it. So that's what we did. And the river that I started trotlining on was called the Neosho, which, you know, the Osage, it, it's, it's their word originally. Uh, and there's lots of disputed definitions for it. But the one that I like is uh, water the color of a summer cow wapiti. <laughs> oh, nice. True story. Nice. Yeah, it kind of brings a big circle, man. Very uh, cool. For those who don't know, yeah, wapiti no is, is the, uh, that was a Native American word for elk. Uh, so some call it wapiti. It's wapiti to me. And it's the Neoshi? The, the Neosho. The Neosho. Okay. Yeah, and is yeah. that in Western Nebraska? No, that's in, that's in, uh, Southeast Kansas, South Central Kansas. My dad grew up down there. Uh, that's where his folks lived and, and they had generations of, of redneck trot liners, uh, okay. which I fell right into. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. Those are, we used to fish for those a little bit, um, in Nebraska where my grandparents farmed on, uh, on the, uh, the loop river. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. anyway, I know cool. the loop. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. Uh, crude beginnings, but I eventually evolved, but I looked down on no style of fishing. Well, yeah. I mean, I'd go right now, if you said, let's get in the truck and go throw clousers on the New York show, I would roll in a heartbeat. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's just, a, that's by way of, of uh, bringing me around to, to uh, then spending my life fooling around with, with uh, talking about elk. But, but yeah, if you want a fishing story, uh, my... Uh, <laughs> My beginnings, I spent a lot of time fishing to things that weren't even fish. Uh, <laughs> when I first got into fly fishing, I was 19. I mean, I my folks gave us like broomsticks, south bend rods when we were kids. And we actually probably spent as much time catching bullfrogs on those things, which if you've never caught a bullfrog on a fly, it's kind of an interesting fight. Half in the water, half on land, they're a dual threat. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And, and delicious too. And delicious as well. Yep. Uh, yep. But yeah, I, I didn't really get serious about fly fishing. It took me over when I, I started guiding out there in, in Colorado, as you alluded to in that, that intro. Uh, and I spent one probably an hour before I recognized the folly of my ways, but I had gone up this little creek that was supposed to have rumored to have giant brook trout in it. And underneath there, there's a little waterfall coming out of a beaver pond, bubble veil. And I could see this blue and silver shape down in there. And I was like, Oh, there it is, man. That's the King. And I fished to that thing and fished to it. And I could, I keep inching up. And finally 
I recognized that it was an old Ham's beer can. <laughs> <laughs> the blue kind, silver, little red, you know, all the brookie colors. Well, that's it's been a long run of that. Man. Did you pick it up and drink it? That was a that was a, a rule that a buddy of mine had. Like, if you found a beer in the river, no matter how old it was, well, I, I understand that rule. <laughs> yeah, you had to drink it, or the river gods were going to curse you for life. Yeah, well, this thing had it was long drunk. It was empty, <laughs> save for sediment. But uh, anyway, so the hams wouldn't take a fly. No, no, the hams never rose. Man, I. I uh, I put eyes on this bedded buck in the sage one time for <laughs> three hours, you know, and like I, do know. I sat there and I studied it with binos, spotting scope, binos, scope, spotting scopes, you know, and I just finally concluded. I'm like, all right, well, I'm just I'm going to shoot this thing. And uh, and right before I pulled the trigger, like the light kind of changed or something. And I finally, finally realized that it was just a stick it was just a it was just a collection of sticks but i mean it had a nose it had eyes it had everything like it was unbelievable so uh, yeah man that's uh i've, I've kind of been there yeah well yeah. that's how stimulators work on fish man it's just a <laughs> right. suggestion yeah you know? true. <laughs> true 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 awesome awesome um so you were with the elk foundation for 33 years as you told me so that's true so how did you go from, um, from, you know, guiding in Colorado, whitewater guiding, right? Yes. Yes. There's a huge dichotomy between the whitewater guide and the fishing guide. It's a better life, the whitewater <laughs> guide. I, yeah. I started out that way and I don't know why I went back. Cause you, you went out and you did your guide trip and then you went fishing by yourself. Well, that's true. That's yeah. true. But the other thing, there's just an incredible disparity in, in, uh, wages, you oh, know? true. You're a whitewater true. guide. You got a real chance of killing somebody. Yeah. You got six people in your boat. You get 50 bucks. You get, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And, and, you know, 20 bucks for tips. Right. Fishing guide, you're making, you know, what, 10 times that much? Right. Worst thing that can happen, dude hooks himself in the ear. True. Gets grumpy because he didn't catch the big one. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> As yeah, you know. Exactly. That sort of thing. In yeah. any case, uh, they both have their charms. I've been on both sides of it and love both sides of it. Sure. Absolutely, man. So you so you guided down and did you guided with John Herzer and I did, that, right? I like did. you guys are old, old pals. And so. we met as teenagers. Oh, cool. Wow. And I've been Jesus, on a, a zillion misadventures since then. Holy cow. Yeah. I wasn't in that neighborhood. That yeah. No, you probably are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. We had no egos at that point. No, uh, <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, uh, no, I'm sure. Um, so, so you went from guiding. How did you? Were you always a writer? Were you? Uh, you know, is that something that you always pursued? And then, and then, you know, came to work for the Elk Foundation, or how'd that all go down? Yeah, I, I mean, that's the only thing I ever felt like I was any good at. I've always liked to write. I was just writing stories when I was in second grade you know, just to write them. Yeah. Uh, I started out in environmental studies and quickly concluded that that was not my strong suit and switched over to journalism and, you know, hope to combine the two and kind of wound up doing that. Okay. Uh, went to journalism school at the university of Kansas. Oh, you did. I did. Jayhawk. I was a Jayhawk. Awesome. Okay. And, and remain so. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, yeah. yeah they lost when to, basketball lost, comes around anyway. I was to Oklahoma this weekend. <laughs> Why I go into it? <laughs> anyway. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I digress. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I, I, uh, when I moved to Montana, my wife and I, I and wife at the time, uh, we I didn't know a single human being. I just... 
I, there were already too many people in Colorado. I wanted to be where there was wilder country, right? more rivers, fewer people, more wild fish. And I saw this elk foundation thing and they, it was just getting off the ground. You know, it was five years old and I thought, that's what I want to do. And I just bugged them. I kind of pestered my way into a job. That's they hired me 20 hours a week, seven bucks an hour. And, and like, you were working for Bugle in, in some capacity? That's, I started right away working on Bugle. Uh, and was like Shelvin the editor he was, at that time? He was, or? which I could not have had a better mentor and, and really just a great friend. He's a, he's a wonderful human being. Incredibly intelligent dude. Cool. Funny. Yeah. Wise. I'm, that's what I've heard, man. I, I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to to meet him. You um, should. He's, yeah, that'd he's be cool. He, even now, he's he's just a wonderful human being. So is his wife, all their children. They're just good people. Good he deal. was the very first employee of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, he took the leap. He bought and is into. Is he still it. around here? Yeah, yeah. He lives here in town. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, I saw cool. him about six weeks ago. Awesome. So, so you started out seven bucks an hour, 20 hours a week. <laughs> True story. Okay. And still, still fishing, guiding on the side. Were you? Yeah, yeah. Here in Missoula. Yeah. And around, I, I, uh, I got to run my very first Smith trip in September of 89. Oh, wow. Uh, when they hired me, I said, well, look, I, I've already got this trip. I'm going to go do this thing. And yeah, that was the first of a great many over there. So were you guiding with Herzer back then in those uh, days? Some of the time. Some okay, of the time. Okay, cool. The, the, I didn't know this. Yeah, the the guy we both worked for, a guy named Mark Jones. You ever remember him? Dude, I took Jonesy. <laughs> Jonesy. I took Jonesy. I took Jonesy on on my last trip that I ever did before I quit guiding the second time. Oh, that'll bring you out of guiding for sure. Well, yeah, no, it was really entertaining though. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I had a I had a really good, and he had some crazy uh, Italian friend with him who you probably know too. I think who been his fishing buddy for a long time i can't remember his name but he was loud um but yeah no jonesy he yeah he chewed my ear all day okay cool yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I that's, gotta meet that's him. who we started out with <laughs> all right yeah <laughs> okay good deal it was a good deal yeah it's, yeah so then uh so at, at what point did you become like the editor of the the, the kind of honcho the editor well, I don't know that I was a honcho. I mean, Lance was still around, but he just got so busy doing other things and became elevated up into the upper, upper echelon. So I took over as the editor in 92. And so Man, that was a long time did ago. it for 30 years. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Wow, cool. <laughs> but it, it, I've loved every bit of it, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've always been like um, a real champion for the Elk Foundation too. That's one thing that I've always noticed in my, you know, dealings with you and, and, and everything that you do with your work. It's like a lot of writers become kind of self-centric and uh, you've always struck me as somebody who's not that way. Who's always kind of put the mission of the Elk Foundation first. Good. That certainly was my hope. Uh, I mean, it's easy to get wrapped up in your own stories and we all love them, but the Elk Foundation, what they're, I mean, just yesterday, you know, the the state land board voted four to one on the big snow is, which will be, a, you know, that's 5,700 acres of, of uh, going to be new public ground. That's the Elk Foundation been driving that thing for years. And finally, you know, it's one vote away. You just have one. You got the state land board that now has to vote on it. But but hopefully with that four to one vote, it'll sail on through and that that it gets back into another 10,000 acres of public ground. And, that's the stuff I love. 
That's know. pretty awesome. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, uh, yeah, Lauren yeah. called me right before you got here because we've been kind of uh, waffling on where we're going to go this weekend. <laughs> we got grandma's coming to town. Our traditional spot, they changed the unit boundaries, and now it's open for a general buck in there. So everyone's going in there. It's been like a trophy hunt for 25 years or something. So anyway, yeah, she's okay. like, what about the big snowies? I just read this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> access, <laughs> but is, access is tricky in there. It's limited, and this place right. is not going to open. Well, it's not even a done deal. But if if it goes through as we expect it to at this point, sure hope it will. Uh, it's going to open in 23. Got it. So got it. But well, that's there cool. are other ways to get into the big snow. Is that's not the one and only? <laughs> I'm sure there are, but not not now. Like, yeah, to drive up there in, in the dark in a camper is not the place to start that uh, start that search probably for us. But um, but uh, well, cool, man. So um, yeah. So now uh, now what are we doing? I mean, now you're just uh, you're we're just tearing it up. We're we're fishing. We're hunting. We're... I have done both of those things. I just. Uh, my wife and I went up into the missions for a, uh, one last backpack just last weekend. Caught probably my last cutthroat of the year on dry flies on Sunday. Cool. They were eating October caddis. Were they really hyperphagia? Yeah, like like nice. grizzlies. You know, awesome. You didn't have to be a great angler on that deal. Yeah, there uh, you go. And, That's yeah. cool. Oh, it was gorgeous. Huckleberries and and the uh, menzesia, all that low stuff was just on you know the reds and the oranges and same colors in the cutthroat. It's just beautiful so, so pretty lucky so the grizzlies are eating the october caddis larva no, <laughs> no 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 i've said that the you know grizzlies are in this hyperphagia deal where they're trying to pack on as many pounds as they possibly can before they before they go to bed if they ever go to bed these days uh, right and right, the cutthroats right. appeared to be doing the same thing i understand no, okay no. so i thought like for a second i'm like wait a minute you are know? those moss that they dig up there actually october caddis no, is he telling no. me something What's going on? They they cast a wide net. I would never <laughs> rule it out. Grizzlies eat all kinds of stuff. They might dig. If they, they might find dig a way up, to get. They might dig up some October caddis. You never know. Out of a lake up there. Yeah. yeah. They'd sure dig that cutthroat if they could get at it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It was. It was right. great. But other than that, mostly all I've done is hunt birds. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. I am going to settle Jeez, down and start just... trying to get up in the morning and writing, but uh, <laughs> not. it's only been you... a couple of weeks. Right. Right. Uh, I, you know, it's October only comes around once a year. You want to grab and get hold of it, and what a beauty it's been so far. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. It's been unbelievable. It's been very hard to do anything constructive, Yeah, if, depending yeah. on your definition well, of constructive. Precisely. I hope you've been out there chasing elk. <laughs> no, I haven't. No? I, no, man. I've been on the river a bunch. Well, uh, that's so a good place to okay i you know it's it's it was i had to i needed to work needed to buckle down um <laughs> and uh yeah no i i didn't bow hunt man i i don't bow hunt like i used to you know it's it's partly due to time it's partly due to the bear thing kind of freaks me out it's it partly due to the number of hunters it's partly due to you know you lose an animal i lost an animal a few years ago that just really bothered me because yeah. you know it's not just all that stuff but i kind of just lean on the rifle anymore oh i get you i'm a rifle my, hunter myself i mean fits if my you schedule. hunt elk bow hunting's clearly the way to, i mean you can you beat bugling bulls in september no no, no. but uh, i'm a rifle dog that's that's what i like to do yeah so. yeah i kind of am at my uh, at my heart too like uh, i grew up rifle hunting 
and then I got into bow hunting later. Yeah. But rifle hunting still reminds me of rifle hunting when I was a kid. Right. It, it's a touchstone so, for sure. Know, yeah. If you like getting on a set of tracks and seeing where they go. Dude, it's fun. It's It has its charms. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. If you don't mind going in a whole bunch of nasty old blowdown. Yeah, which apparently I don't. <laughs> it doesn't I seem like you do. Manage to find my stuff here. In I am here, no matter what. Yeah, God dang it. Yeah, I don't know how I can do that time and time again, even though I've been there before. That's because that's where they go, over. man. I know it's I true. Mean, you can sit where where it's pretty and stuff, or you can go where they are. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, so with your time as a river guide, now um, you know river guiding. And I, I was talking with with. Chris Dombrowski about this a while ago and um he was you know relating like his personal challenges and struggles that he had with his writing when he was guiding a lot you know just due to time and how like he would have one season for working and one season for writing and it never seemed to flow and put it all together and you know it was just kind of fragmented huh you know all right yeah never know he's, he's doing all right he's doing all right but he said you know he's like but the guiding He's like, that's where I got all my, that's where I get a lot of my material, you right. know, um, just also from, you know, not only just the clients and the, the, the chaos and the scenery and the people and, you know, but, but I, well, the people, um, you know, river guides hanging out with river guides, like river guides are, you know, kind of eclectic They're but they're very capable people. They're really interesting people to be around. Like, you know, you get five or six river guides and I mean, you guys, you can get some shit done. Um, did you find that too? Like in your writing, did you, do you think that like you gleaned a lot of, uh, material and perspective from your years as a river guide that, that you maybe su still surfaces sometimes? Oh boy. It'd be nice to think so for sure. I mean, certainly I'd like to think that the rivers have taught me lessons and still do every time I go out, if I can just listen up, you know, uh, but yeah, that really has been, it's, you know, you do that stuff. I started as a teenager, you know, and, and guided the first two years that I worked, 83, 84 were the two biggest water years in the Southwest and 80, 90 years. They were outrageously big. It was a heck of a baptism. And it really, that's kind of been the core group of, of friends, you know, including Herger, uh, that I've just hung on to, you know, and just that whole way of looking at, you know, the whole DIY ethic, that's me to the bone. You know, that's the guys that I go hang with. They're, most of the people that I'm doing trips with here 40 years later, they're all old guides and they're all just really comfortable. Uh, yeah. They like being out there and doing it themselves. They'd rather figure it out and muddle through. Not that we're against guides because we've been them uh, and you can learn a lot. But ultimately, I'd rather do it myself, you know. Yeah. Uh, sure, I'll go with a guide. But but the next time you see me on that river or in that ocean, whatever it may be, I'll probably be trying it myself. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Be careful who you guide. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that didn't really answer your question, how it's informed my writing. I, yeah. The The – you know, people make stories and, and the time on the rivers make stories that you just, I mean, the, they show you things that you otherwise would never have experienced. And it just shapes your whole way of looking at the world and that can't help but then influence the way you write. Uh, 
you know, I, Thomas McGuane would cringe to hear me say it, but he's probably the biggest reason I moved to Montana was to me, nobody writes about fishing better than him mm-hmm. ever. Uh, and that's, that's a big statement. There's a lot of wonderful fishing writers and I've read well, quite that's a few a, of them. Yeah, you, you, but, get, you, you wouldn't get a ton of argument there. I don't think. But yeah, you know, I, I read an outside chance and I was like, I got to get up there, man. Really? You know, I got to get it? there. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I didn't have a, a giant plan. Like I said, I, had, I didn't have a job. I didn't know a soul when I moved up here 33 no. years ago. And I was good with that. Right. It's like, let's go. We'll figure it out. Can always guide. Well, right? you know, along, you got along, skills. Well, I hate to tell you this, Dan, but you're one of the reasons why I'm sitting here right <laughs> oh, now God. too. So, so there you go. You got to, yeah. you got to wear that. Yeah. Uh, you got to wear that stigma. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of did the same thing. I moved here on a bit of a whim and it was, you know, this is where, this is the hub of outdoor media, right? Like this is where you guys were. And, and, uh, I didn't know about the television production company I ended up working for, but, <laughs> right, but right. they happened to be here. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, now you have BHA based here. You've got, you know, there's also Boone and Crockett, Boone yeah. and Crockett, of course. Yeah. yeah. Right. But um, yeah. Backcountry, Montana yeah. to you. Everybody. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. a hub. It is a hub. If, you, if yeah. you're looking to get into outdoor media, this ain't a bad place to start. You could do a lot worse. Clark right. Fork Coalition, our own homegrown. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Ton of great, great nonprofits working for wild places here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, along those lines. So like, you know, if, if, some because people ask me this all the time and i'm not really the person to ask but if somebody is trying to sell their first article to a to a publication such as bugle or or whatever it may be like what kind of advice do you give do you give somebody like that that's trying to get their foot in the door as a as a writer oh man you know, you, it's, i mean it's, it's a lot i'm sure but. well it's just such a changed world and i'm about to find out because because i'm going to go back into the world of being a freelancer instead of sitting on the other end of the table Fun. Uh, yeah i'm yeah, excited for, for sure well luckily i don't have to make a penny doing it but, but and maybe that'll hurt me because i'm not going to be hungry enough but we'll we'll find out <laughs> i got some true. stories i want to tell Good for point. sure uh but you know it's the print landscape is so constricted now from what it was you know when i started out there were so many more magazines and they were monthly instead of quarterly or bi-monthly uh and there's a lot of magazines where you better know the editors already yeah you're not going to get past the gatekeeper right i mean it's just the reality you got it and that's it's a shame uh but the flip side of that is there's all this other you know it's what we're doing right now and and you know so many you know the the multi-threat way of telling stories now uh with your photos online uh we even in video clips it's all cool i'm i'm an old school dude i like just words and trying to paint pictures with those but all of that stuff you know i'm not going to say i don't look at those things and i can appreciate when that's well done it's it's a beautiful thing too uh so that's there's those other avenues uh Many of those come with you then somewhat beholden to somebody and having to shill their product or their pitch or whatever. And, you know, I never wanted to be part of that thing unless what I was shilling was conservation via the Oak Foundation. I can do that because I believe in it with my soul. But, but you know, I pitching for somebody, not so much, even if they're they're a great company. But in any case, you know, as far as the magazine that I fooled around with all those years, if you got a good story to tell, uh, tell it. 
You know, it doesn't even have to be the greatest piece of writing. I mean, a query letter is great. If you just have a story and it's a great story, just write the thing. You'll feel better no matter what. Uh, I mean, that's that's my take. And every time you write a story, you're going to get a little bit better. Uh, Even if all you collect is a freaking, you know, another rejection letter. (laughs) But I got a bunch of those. (laughs) Of course. I mean, I mean, if you're if you're thinking you're going to bet a thousand Good luck, man. No doubt. You know, the yeah. whole point is to get your stuff out there. And, and, you know, if you're lucky enough that an editor offers you some constructive criticism and so, you know, take another shot at it. If you did this and this, then great. Most of the time they don't. But, you know, sometimes you'll catch their interest a little bit, but and you can take another shot, write another draft. That's how you get better. Uh, yeah. Well, that was one thing, you know, when I was trying to, to get my foot in the door, uh, you guys were always great about the criticism. I couldn't believe the amount of time that I, I would get a rejection letter, of course, but, <laughs> but there was, you know, valuable insight within that rejection letter that inspired me to keep trying. Well, that's, that's a beautiful thing. So, uh, I mean, and I, I assume that mostly came from other people. Uh, yeah. I don't think you saw, I never got, you were the gatekeeper. I never got to. Right. right yeah. No, you got past me many times and to our, to yeah, our eventually. Uh, oh, well, that's the way it works. Yeah, but, the yeah, way it no, works yeah. I, but yes, we had some wonderful editors who really were generous with their time and who cultivated writers. And you know, so this guy's got something going on. He's got a story to tell, you know, he's got a voice of his own or this woman, uh, let's work on that. Even if we're not going to buy this piece or we're not going to buy it in its current form, uh, they'd throw you a bone and say, you know, if you tried this, you know. Well, that's just and, good. That's just part of that's just good old fashioned kindness though, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, really? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. Which is harder to come by these days, I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, everybody is getting squeezed. People are asked to do more and more with fewer and fewer people in every, you know, every newspaper, every magazine. You know, it's, it's a hard time in print right now. I just read your latest, the latest, uh, not yours, but the Elk Foundation's latest job post for Bugle. And it's like, I mean, yeah, to your point, you got to be a writer, a producer, an editor, yeah. a camera person, yeah. you know, a right. videographer. Like, yeah. These days, man, like, you know, the job I had in television, right, like as the producer, where I was kind of in the background organizing everything like that, that job's long gone, man. The people that do that also go out and run the camera and yeah. sell all that. They produce the entire thing, you know, yeah. they shuffle it to YouTube or wherever it go. They, they do everything. So yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. same deal. Yeah. Dinosaurs like me who just mess around with words. You know, there's, there's still a people. place for it though. Uh, yeah, there you is. Know? There That's is. the great thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's still a place like there's still, there's, there will always be a market and a place for, for writing, for sure. I believe that, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can't wait to see what you do there. That's going to be awesome. Um, I'm really excited, man. You're, you know, you've always been uh, not just one of my favorite outdoor writers, but one of my favorite writers, period. And I always grabbed the Elk Foundation, you know, the Bugle every time it came out. First thing I read was the back page. And, uh, yeah, you're just one of those people that takes a lot of time with their sentences and words, like, or it just comes naturally to you <laughs> that I don't know. Not very often. But it's, it's like, there's no wasted, it's, you know, kind of like Chris Dombrowski is another example. When I read Chris Dombrowski's writing, I'm like, he didn't waste any time here. He's not taking any shortcuts. Like, 
And then, you know, I'll go back and read something that I wrote. And I'm like, all right, I'm taking shortcuts. I'm slacking. I'm just putting words on paper. That's not good enough. Uh, It's hard. It's It's hard. It it is. It's hard. Yeah. Every once in a while you have one of those where you just sit down and flash it out. But that's one in a hundred, man. Most of the time it's just you got to go back and work at it and work at it. Just keep chipping away, uh, whittling it down, going for that clean line. Right. that's, That's what you always want. Yep. Yep. There's no shortcut there, is there? Um, so I, we've, we've touched on this, on this podcast a couple of times. So like we had Matt Churchman on, we had Herzer on and, but you were there too for the famed grizzly attack, right? I was. This did occurred. Yes. So. Herzer was the hero. Herzer. Yeah. Churchman was the victim. Herzer was the hero. Correct. You were a bystander. Of sorts. No, but what was your perspective? What did you see? If you don't mind telling me. I, I... Well, I heard, I heard, uh, I mean, we'd literally been there for 13 hours camp there, you know, spent the night. There was zero grizzly sign. You know, we were like 10 minutes from launching, just relaxed, been a very pleasant morning. You know, had breakfast, we're packing up, we're about to push off, have a great day of fishing. And I, John and I were along the bank loading our boats and, and uh, heard Matthew yell bear and looked up. And about two seconds after that, it was like he got hit by a train, you know, it, it threw him literally 10 feet. Jesus. And Jesus. Yeah. And you went, you just watched that. You saw that. We saw down. that happen. We both start running. We're in our waders, you know, waiter running. And people are hollering, where's the bear spray? I had just literally put mine inside my dry box. Great place for it, right? Yeah. You know, not highly useful. Don't do that We've stuff. We've all done that Oh, shit, man. Though. Yeah, no. I was like, ah, we're done here, you know. We're, we're not going to need it on the river. Right. So we're running together, and I peeled away to go to the boat. I figured we got to get some bear spray in the game. John continued on and and uh as it turned out ran the bear off uh which was incredibly brave stupid whatever you want to call it but mm-hmm. you know he probably saved matthew's life certainly saved him from a lot worse uh so by the time i got there it was unnecessary bear was gone uh but i had the bear spray and you know i could have just as easily popped off of matthew and and said hey you want some <laughs> and put john on the ground too you know and then the bear right. spray would have been handy and i would have been a savvy guy as it was i always felt like kind of a coward and you know like i made the wrong call to not just run with him and give him a double team on the bear but you know you do what you do in the moment oh no I you don't can think second that. guess yeah, yourself no, i don't think at all i think that was a good call I, I well mean, jesus it's man. the call getting i made some, getting a weapon into the mix how is that a bad call well it, it seemed like the right thing to do at the time but yeah no i think that's pretty savvy i think that's pretty quick thinking on your feet though if you would have turned and ran the other direction now that was, that might have, <laughs> i didn't that do that something <laughs> that you would have had to yeah. second guess yeah, your, no, your, i'd be grappling with yeah, that yeah yeah that would have uh, been tough on yeah, you for sure uh, wow well well it's crazy um i just kind of wanted to hear that uh just from an, from another another witness there and your wife was with you too and your wife is uh, a wolf biologist so she she's was obviously she was well she's now the, in all wildlife yeah she's now the wildlife manager for region oh, two. Yeah. Oh, good for yeah. her. Cool. Yeah. First woman to do it for FWP in their hundred years or so of 
of existence. Oh, yeah. wow. That's awesome. It's super cool. Good for her. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Congratulations, no, yes. Liz. That's, yeah. that's awesome. But she was a wolfer for uh, 20 some years. That's what she did her master's on and went to school for and, uh, or got into way early on. And she was, she was one of the first wolf biologists for FWP, uh, went through the whole, whole, uh, forced re-intro, uh, and all the pitchforks and torches worked out at Dillon, uh, where they were not especially welcome. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a crucible time, but, but she really loved it. You know, it was a, it was a neat time to be in it, uh, trying to build trust with people, uh, and find a place on the landscape for these things, find that, that sweet spot, that middle ground where they could exist and, you know, ranchers could keep making a living and, we could all learn how to, how to live with these things mm-hmm. that we'd been without for a good long while. Right. Uh, right. So, yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. And she's, she was the one she's like, the more dire things get, the steadier she gets. She just gets dead calm. You know, she's not, she doesn't freak out serpents. She'll freak out, <laughs> but anything else, grizzlies, wolves, lions, spiders, she's all good. Which is good because the spiders are my thing. Are they? Oh, yeah. oh you and Lauren, yeah. Yeah, yeah I can't do them. That's, Snakes, that, I'm good. Uh, that's the part of the story that I think, you know, is is the big takeaway that this can happen to anybody because uh, the the group that you're with is uh, everybody in that group is, is highly experienced, um, you know, not not just outdoors people, but but you know grizzly habitat people people have been, um, yeah. yeah yeah and and that's just uh you know when i heard about that attack i was coming out of the i was fishing and uh <laughs> as you should have been so were we yes, <laughs> right yes. until then but i had been i had done the same trip the week prior and likely if i wasn't in the same camp i was close to it yeah and me and my buddies were pretty lax on that trip, oh, yeah. honestly. Like, I mean, you know, of course, yeah, they we know there's bears here. We had bear spray. We had guns. I can't say I had it on me 24-7, you know? And I thought, as soon as I heard that story on the radio, I thought, oh, shit. Like, that's could have so easily been oh, yeah. us and it just sent a chill down my spine and then when i found out it was you guys <laughs> i was like well that really should have been us because uh-huh. those guys were probably running a tighter ship than we were yeah I, yeah that's, that's crazy generous. yeah yeah in any case i yeah i i've changed my ways i got it permanently on my bird vest my my hunting pack my big game pack my fishing pack i just don't go with that. I run with it. I got in my nifty little belt. I trail run all the time. I just, I don't want to be the stupid dude out there who doesn't have it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, Even if you go down, at least your obituary has a little more common sense. <laughs> well, yeah, of course I'm not long on, but <laughs> take him as you get him. He's, I'm a slow learner, but I can learn. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, what else we got written down here? You got a few other notes jotted down. Oh. Right, let's hear another story. Oh, well, uh yeah i can tell you some near death death stories let's hear one well you I mean, you've if you read bugle you heard the one about the stripers but uh not, not everybody yeah uh, that's that's true uh well somewhere on the new england coast my buddy and i we hit one of those just glass calm mornings and we waited out and uh you know it's probably a hundred yards before it's even up to your boot tops. So gradual. We finally get out there. We're probably half a mile out and it's just up over our knees. And you start seeing these fins and bulges and, and ripples pushing water. And 
I'm like, holy cow, we're in them. You know, and a whole, I don't know how many there were, four or 500 stripers that just rolled in, you know, obviously had just pulled in and they were hungry. You know, they'd been traveling all night and we were in them immediately. And that, you know, it's probably like the most sublime 90 minutes of striper fishing you could possibly have, you know, these things, you know, size of Labradors, just you didn't have to be anything too great in ankle deep water getting well no i mean by that point it was knee deep and then of course we stayed you'd be surprised how hard it is to turn your back on freaking yard long stripers (laughs) we caught a bunch of big fish uh and pretty soon then it's it's up to your thighs and then it's at your waist and finally my buddy cam who's who's a partner in many near-death experiences he he broke the trance he's like we got to go and we reeled up and started hoofing it and you know how the tide is it it tends to get it comes on and it was already coming on and that slope was so gradual and you know felt like we were walking through saltwater taffy then it's up to our mid chest and you know it's just a matter of time it's coming i start you're starting to think all right can i get out of my waders can i do i ditch my vest do i ditch the rod because it's coming you knew it was just a matter of time finally comes over the top of your waders and i mean you're we were just doing the nightmare slow-mo tiptoe you know yeah trying to maintain progress and finally the the bank started to tilt up i mean the beach looked like it was pluto it looked that far away (laughs) but we finally made it and dumped out a zillion gallons of the atlantic and so yeah Oh, God. That was dumb. That was dumb. Yeah. It happens to people all the time out there. Does it? Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, Cam bought a boat. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Smarter move. Plus, you can follow the fish that way. But his folks have a place out there. But, wow, that's crazy, yeah, man. I, yeah. I got to do that one time in Maine, right? Like, yeah. So we went out yeah. and fished a tidal flat. Yes. And, um, I, I guess I kind of have a little bit of an idea where you're coming from because we got out there and it was like shin deep. And oh, I, was yeah. like, I, I didn't know, like I'd been striper fishing before out of a boat, right? right. Like out of Virginia uh-huh. in the winter time, yeah. just blind casting, which was cool. It's fun, but, but it's but not the same. I had, I didn't even know that this was a thing, right? Like oh, yeah. this was more like, this was full on flats fishing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the first fish that showed up same, you know, like you described there, there weren't many, but the first one that showed up, it was just this big ass wave and you know i'm just shaking in my shaking in my in my boots and uh made the cast caught this gorgeous fish on the mouth of the kennebec river and it right like, had yeah it was all pink and lavender and like it looked oh, yeah. it was gorgeous it was like a na- i took some photos of it you know and and just put some pictures of its cheeks and everything i was like damn i've never seen a striper like that and, but yeah i let it go and uh and in like 20 minutes you had to get that the guy that i was with was like we got to go i'm like what are you talking about man we can't leave this we're we're surrounded by fish there's no one here that's awesome he's like no we're gonna die i'm like yeah well all right Ah, you say so yeah i haven't got my will put together yet not much in there but uh yeah no that can that i I was shocked at how quickly it came up it can change for sure Yeah, yeah yeah Yeah. So yeah, I, I was sitting at this restaurant on my way home, waiting for the plane, looking at these pictures of that fish. And the guy next to me, like, was like, Oh, let me see that. And I showed him and it turns out he was a fisheries biologist. And he's like, that's a native Kennebec hen. He's like, that's really cool that you caught that. He's like, did the other fish you catch look like that? I'm like, no, they all look kind of silverish. He's like, yeah, those aren't natives, but that's a 
native Kennebec hen. And like not knowing anything about stripers, right? Because I was a West Coast kid. I was like, well, shit, these are just like steelhead, yeah. right? Like they come back to their natal they've waters. Their, they've yeah. got their, their – they really – they're just another awesome anadromous fish they that are. has its own unique. They are. I, I didn't know that. Naive, naively, I just, I guess I assumed that they were just kind of a uh, a wandering, you know, mass of, of fish that went into <laughs> estuaries to feed. I didn't know that they like ran up and spawned in these, in these natal streams and everything like that. Yeah. Did. Interesting. It's pretty amazing. They are yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. And then. Seemingly, damn near worth dying for. Yeah, almost, almost. <laughs> Certainly worth getting to the edge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Make great stories, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Awesome. So, uh, so how uh, you grew up in Nebraska, right? Most said Kansas. But I started out in North Carolina. I always, you're, I always associate you with Nebraska. Yes, I started reason. out in North Carolina, but moved to Nebraska really as I started. My dad taught there at, uh, in Chapel Hill. Uh, he was a professor, and then he, he got to be a full professor there at the University of Nebraska. And that's that's I, I moved there right before going into grade school uh, and stayed there through till I graduated high school. Then I went down to Kansas, went to school down there. And then journalism. went to Colorado. Then, yeah. Well, I started going to Colorado. I worked there every summer that I was in college. Oh, okay. And yeah. That was, that was my, my uh, summer job. Yeah. I uh, wish you would have got a chance to meet my dad. You guys have such a similar story. You know, he, he grew up in Nebraska and went to, he went dude ranched in Colorado in the yeah. summer times and, and skied and shit. And then he, you know, got into like elk hunting and then he did the same thing you did. He just pulled up stakes. And, I mean, he had a, he had a job lined up yeah. but he pulled up stakes smarter and went west and a little smarter yeah but uh anyway yeah yeah now he sounded like a great guy yeah i wish i would have had the chance to meet him yeah yeah it's yeah. too bad it's yeah. too bad it's the way you know you never know man oh it man goes by quickly yes it does yeah you yeah. know now it says dad yourself uh you want to make the most of those years man it's a whirlwind yeah, yeah it's it's the biggest cliche in the world but it's also true man it, just it is passed so fast and you want to make the most of every minute of it totally you got to catch yourself every now and then because it's such a such chaos yeah and, and everything at the same time <laughs> like i gotta enjoy this chaos it's yeah like i'm in the middle of a, a tornado chaos. and i gotta yeah. freaking relax and take this take in the sights and the yeah. sounds here a little yeah. bit yeah so. that's what you want to do for sure how uh, how do folks uh, keep track of your uh, your future endeavors? Um, what's 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 the word there? I know well, you're. I mean, I know you're busy on TikTok, and you're going to be a big. <laughs> you're going to be all over on TikTok. Yeah, that's me to the core. I, I know we're going to be yeah. following you on TikTok, yeah. but uh, yeah, you're obviously not as much of a social media presence. In fact, uh, you know that, that brings up another thing. Um, in all the years we've shared, uh, we've shared this town. I can't recall ever seeing you ever. On a river or in a trailhead or anywhere. So you're very good at being elusive. Which is bizarre. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like you say, we're in that same place on that same river. Right. Uh, a week apart. But yeah, we have been in many of the same places, I can guarantee you. But I have. As time's gone along, I, I've become more of a haunter of the secondary and tertiary streams. I like smaller and smaller water. Uh Partly that's my antisocial way, but I really, there's some big fish in small water and I just, I like going back into wilder places and I like having water where I, I know there's not somebody who just fished it 10 minutes ago and there's somebody else coming along 10 minutes behind me. I like having water where it's yours to, you can take as much time as you want. 
go with the cadence of the stream, screw it up as you're going to screw it up instead of having somebody come in and bump the fish or whatever. Uh, but I, I like wandering around on that, that smaller water more so now than I once did. I still love big rivers and I, I still love, I mean, I, anytime I got a pair of oars in my hand, I'm a happy man. Yeah. Uh, and, but even on big rivers, I'm always looking for the creeks, looking for the side channels, you know, figured, right. figured where could I go where the fish are over here getting, getting out of the traffic and, and uh, you can find that, that little more intimate water, but yeah, but yeah. Uh, I'm more that way more and more too. It's yeah. Funny. I, yeah. Man, I just getting away from people's like the, my, my singular focus. Like it's that's number one. And then, you know, fishing might be two or three. Yeah. But, but then there's yeah. some, yeah, there's some can, other shit in there. Takes but. you to some good places. There is some other stuff in there, but yeah, no, I'm not a huge social media person. Probably not going to, not going to become that. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you'll see me in, in some of that. I've been trying to write some fishing stories. I've written a lot of elk stories. Uh, so maybe you'll see me in some of those mags. We'll see. Uh, I don't, I don't have a bunch of, uh, target audiences. I got stories that I want to write that I've just been had in my head for a long time. And I'm going to write those and see if somebody wants to read them in some fashion. That's, that's cool. what I'm going to do. Uh, but I, I did want to, uh, before we go, I wanted to, to, uh, and I do have some more stories. If you want no, more stories. Please. No, uh, please. I just didn't want to take your time. No, no, it's you're a not beautiful wasted. day out it there, It is man. a beautiful day. But you probably have a fly rod and a shotgun in the truck. And- uh, I am going, <laughs> leaving it early in the morning for five days okay. chasing All birds right. cool. in the far east well, of Montana. Well, uh, I want to hear some more stories. Meeting up with my brother, but yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, I wanted to put in a plug for, for all those nonprofits. We already talked about them. I and if you like to fish and hunt, you got to do it. It's just part of the deal. You'll feel better. You'll feel more fully connected. I mean, there's so many great groups. I'm going to, you know, obviously I'm a huge believer in RMEF, whatever anybody wants to say about them. I just, to me, my favorite part of the whole deal is, is, just like the big snow is it's places that you can go and actually feel with your feet. I'm a simple dude. I like stuff that I can go walk around on. And that's, that's what the Oak foundation has been doing for, for going on 40 years now is protecting places that, and opening them up to the public. That's what I dig, you know, cost you 35 bucks a year. Uh, Montana trout unlimited. I mean, trout unlimited overall as a national organization, proud life member, same as with backcountry hunters, uh, they're just great groups. They're all coming at it a different way, but I'd give a special plug for Montana to you. Uh, David Brooks, who runs the thing, is he's a, a very dear friend of mine. Uh, Bruce Farling, who was his predecessor, is also, we've been friends for 30 years. It's just a great outfit. They, you know, uh, people all over the country probably know about the Smith River and, and uh, those guys have been, that's what they wake up thinking about every day is how can they protect places like that just magical places you know we we're talking about that's i floated that thing for the first time in 89 and it just completely took me over i've been lucky enough to float it another 25 times since then it's just a magical place and you know a mine on one of the top two tributaries you know uh, spawning tribs cold water inputs it's just a really bad idea. Not I'm, worth I'm it. not against mining by any stretch of the imagination, but that mine in that place, it's a bad idea. And the idea that the thing is going to be, you know, remain strictly on private land, it's a farce. You know, they're absolutely going to go for those ore deposits that are on the public land around it. And, you know, 
right now, you know, thanks to the tireless in Montana TU, you know, they got the, the DEQ, the court overruled the DEQ. I said, man, you know, this was arbitrary and capricious. You've, you've got no grounds to, uh, to permit this mine. So that's going to the state Supreme Court now. We'll see what happens there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, you know, people think that fight's over and it's, it's far from it. Yeah. Uh, Pebble and- Mine's not over. Not They're never close. over. That's that's the yeah. thing about conservation. You have to keep fighting the same damn fights over and over again, and you just can't let up. You know, you just every once in a while you get a permanent win. I mean, that's the nice thing about about these places that you permanently protect, or at least we'd like to think they're permanently protected. Uh, you know, those are the, hypothetically that's a solid win that you can go on and move to the next one. But but you know, these mines in bad places, those are you know just the same with dams. You just have to keep fighting the fights. Uh, and, you know, uh, MTU is really working hard on the this totally unsexy drought management plan. But the fish we like, they like places that are wet. They like places <laughs> that are cold. You know, I mean, whatever you think about climate change, anybody who spends any time on rivers knows that there's less water in them and it's warmer. And runoff goes off earlier. And if we want to keep this thing we all love you got to get in the fight, man. You got to step up, go volunteer, put in a day or two on the Creek or out pulling fence, whatever it is you want to do. You'll feel better for it. You'll be better. Send them a check. Yeah. It's yeah. Join, join the, that's one thing, you know, it's always like these, these things seem so grand in scope. These threats seem so grand in scope, you know, and like, well, how do I get involved? Well, yeah. And like, to your point, it, it really is as simple as, yeah, send the Elk Foundation thirty-five bucks. Send Montana TU thirty-five bucks. Backcountry hunters and anglers is thirty-five. They're all very cheap for less than a hundred bucks. You could join them all for the year. Absolutely, and they all work in um, in partnership often on all of these things yeah. too. So they're it's all like, yeah, yeah, they're all in cahoots, like you said. There's you know they have slightly different um, organizational makeups and they have slightly different agendas, but the, but the overall agenda is is the same, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's trying to keep this thing that we love in, in the simplest terms. You yeah, know? Uh, and yeah, it, it's just I'm a huge believer in in uh, grassroots conservation, and you know, you work at the level that you can understand and believe in, and you know, that's why I like these local groups. You know, but you need the national groups pulling hard too. I mean, I, I was on the board of Clark Fork Coalition, homegrown Missoula group. They do great work, man. Yeah. They're doing wonderful work up on the upper Clark Fork right now, keeping water in the river. You know, I got down to 10 CFS. Criminal, man. Yeah, you know, it it's a crying shame, but I, uh, they're doing what they can to keep some water in the river right alongside shoulder to shoulder with MTU. You know, it's just, uh, you got to You got to do that stuff. Uh, and then you can go out and, and do all this other stuff and feel all good about yourself. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, well, back in the back in the day, I don't uh, I don't go in for this behavior anymore. But but back when I was a whitewater guide in those early days, we used to do a lot of night fishing. We used to do a lot of Robin Hood fishing. Uh, we would go into uh, private water, mostly private ponds, and uh, we never kept the fish. We just wanted to give them a few workouts. <laughs> but we had some interesting times on some of those. You'd have to sneak in there real quiet. Uh, one of the places we went into, they had lights on poles that they could just flip a switch and fry you right out there. <laughs> they were pretty proud of their trout and they had some big ones, <laughs> but, but it was kind of a challenge for us. But, uh, 
it all came to a head for me one time. Some of us, uh, we snuck into a place that just had colossal fish. Uh, there's, you know, and these are pond fish, uh, but, but they grew robust. And, you know, you could fish them with mice, fish them with a bugger. It wasn't sophisticated fishing at night. Uh, we're not fishing for 6X or anything. Right. Uh, but we had crept into this place. And again, my wife at the time was along on this one. And uh, we got all the way up in there going quiet. And we look up and, and she says, what is that? I said, I, I think it's a person. And I could have reached out with my fly rod and touched this dude. And he's just standing there, silent. And, you know, at that point, I figure he's going to say, you're damn right, it's a person and you're trespassing. Never says a word. It was the most chilling thing. I mean, we just turned and started. Where were you? This is on a private pond in Colorado. In Colorado. Yeah, back, okay. in, the, back in the mid-80s, long time okay, ago. Statute of limitations. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Guy never says a word. In hindsight, I assume it was somebody else who had snuck in there, and you know, we had just walked but up. But that on was him. it. There was no interaction. It never spoke. This is a great big dude. Turn and walk away was just, it Bigfoot. Uh, well, I don't think it was Sasquatch. It looked a lot like a human being. If it was the owner, he couldn't have done anything better to cure me of my bad ways. I mean, it, it oh was, gosh, it was if a killer. It was the owner, yeah, that yeah. was it. The next uh, level. Creep. Oh yeah, I, I yeah for sure. But but that was so you never did get to the bottom of of the of who it was. Oh no no we we got the hell out of there man. Yeah I bet. Yeah started zigzagging <laughs> figured the bullets were going to start flying. Wow yeah. that's like full on horror film stuff. Uh, it, it that's was, cool. It, it was uh, yeah yeah yeah. Uh, that's the perils of this kind of stuff. Which reminds me, have you ever seen the movie Bloodhook? I have not. You got to watch that. Yeah yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think it's right up your There's alley. a connection. You got a little time on your hands. <laughs> I'll check it out. Okay. Noted. Please do. All right. Please do. Get back to me on that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's creepy, man. Not uh, all of our night fishing was it. We used to, uh, <laughs> uh, you ever fish the hog hole? Uh, those terrible one toxic on, ponds. On, um, by Big Sky? No, no. This is, this is, uh, down by, by warm springs yes okay yeah yes. a long time ago yeah. when i well as long as back as i right when i first moved here I yeah guess. this yeah. this we got on a jag of it in the early 90s and it would always open up in may and it opened at midnight you know i mean it opened on that day so we figured midnight so we'd <laughs> always be there at midnight kicking around in our tubes you know, I usually catch the first fish about the time dawn broke, but we did catch some big fish at night too. Oh, wow, but, that's pretty cool. Oh, I squandered a lot of time kicking around in that toxic sludge, <laughs> but there were some huge fish in there. Uh, wow, float tubing in that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that was wow. one of the many other places where uh, Herger and I almost perished there. Yeah, true. This was another bad duck hunting expedition. We were, we were, I think that day, I think we shot 11 different species of ducks. We had to get out our book and see what the hell we were in. There were all kinds of crazy <laughs> divers, but it, we had decided it was really windy. Duck hunting in the sludge? A huge white caps. Yeah. And then, you know, it was really not, I, I wouldn't do goody, that again. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, what could be better than <laughs> yeah, here you are on these toxic settling Might ponds. as well go finish, finish the hunt off out of the anaconda smokestack. Yeah, exactly. Right? Precisely. Uh, <laughs> But we decided that we would cut off, cut across this this uh, neck of one of those ponds, 
and the the bottom of this thing it's nothing but silt and pretty soon you know we're up to our again it's water is right at the freaking edge of our waders and we linked arms we're like man are we gonna have to drop our shotguns just the two of you yes the two of us the waves are hammering on our chests and we're just turning in this muck and you can see it's like god can we you know it's too late to turn around we got to keep going surely it's going to start slanting back up here and it did again we came out of that one without going over the top so which was a lot it was good because it was a cold day but yeah yeah foolish things you do but now did kurt ever tag along with you on these misadventures or was he too smart for that he's a smarter guy he is yeah too. yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah he's just he's got some kind of a self-preservation thing <laughs> but, but yeah 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 no ducks almost led me to my end I, you know i i almost perished on kelly island one time I don't know if, if you've heard that tale. No. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Chasing ducks? Chasing ducks. This was on. Man, you have really pushed the envelope. Nah, well, yeah. I mean, who would think? You're basically inside the city limits. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, rugged outdoorsman goes down on Kelly Island, but it was uh, it was New Year's Day. It was the last day of duck season. And we had had just a colossal. I lived out on Rock Creek. That's first. When I moved to Montana, I lived literally... 10 steps from rock creek uh i mean i kept a rod strung up all the time nice i fished 100 days in a row when i first moved to montana <laughs> i mean i could kind of catch the tenderloin, and not all day every day but you could catch the tenderloin of it you know nice uh, i lived right there at extrems they were my landlords oh cool so i okay. fished that, wow. that last cool. i mean i fished all of rock creek and i that was my first love but but that last mile from there down to the Clark Fork. Oh man, back uh, then it must have been just money. I, I, it was it was wonderful. It was a great teacher. Showed me so many things. How cool! Uh, wow, that's cool. But yeah, uh, but we'd had a huge party there. I mean, I woke up and there were just is like you remember uh, Mr. Freeze from Batman had that freeze gun. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like yeah. people had they were just sleeping Mr. on the freeze. stairs and leaning up against the wall and the most. You know, it was yeah. like they'd been poisoned and struck dead <laughs> or at least just waxed for And, and my, we woke up and I was like, oh man, it's the last day of duck season. We got to go. Right. Yeah. Uh, someplace close. Yeah. We'll go someplace close. And how about Kelly Alley? You bet, man. And you know, there's pretty good duck hunting out there late yeah. season. Right. There's a bunch There's of spring springs. holes. Yeah, and, totally. You know, yeah. so, and it was a cold day. If it ever got above zero, it wasn't by many degrees. So, you know, we'd take turns going for walks and warm up, you know, but every once in a while, a few greenies would drop in and we'd picked up a few. So I went out on this sortie and, and you know, get creeping around on these side channels. I look over and I'm like, I can't believe it, man. There's a Drake wood duck of all things. No way. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they usually are gone in September, right? Crazy. There it is. New Year's Day. It's a beautiful bird. Jumps up and I shoot it and swirls back down. And I like, oh man, I'm just gonna lord this over Herger. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah. Check this out, dude. And pride goeth before a fall. I mean, it wasn't ten minutes after that I came to this huge down cottonwood, frost all on the thing. Anybody with any sense would have just swung leg and then the other leg and gone over it. But I stood up on the thing, my feet shoot out from under me, drop like a guillotine, my head cracks on the on that cottonwood. I woke up. I've got vomit on my chest. Oh, Jesus. I'm shivering. And it's almost dark. 
you and know, your this, hungover this was late in there. Oh, I, I was already. Yeah, yeah. I didn't start out in mess. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah. Now I've got a pretty major concussion and I had no oh idea where I was. And I, I set off and I was like, all right, I got to get walking, man. It's the last light. And my head's just like you hit it with a freaking mall. And I got down to the end of the island. And I hit the main river and I thought I was walking 180 degrees in the other direction. And I was just stunned, just completely like, where am I? And I was so out of it. I was so thirsty. If you've ever had a concussion, oh, thirst Jesus. is part yeah, of the deal. I got down on all fours, drank out of the river like a quadruped. Yeah. And <laughs> about this time, Herger, being who he is, he touches off around way up at the other end of the whole mess. And I'm like, I'm saved. I'm not going to perish, you know? So I made my way to him and yeah, just another story. Oh goodness. Yeah. Well, it it pays to have some sense. Dan, you be safe out there now that you're unhinged. I mean, who's going to chaperone you? I know. I know. Uh, You'd like to think that you have learned. Uh, Yeah. So let me ask you this. Are you yourself a master angler? Well, no, no, uh, I'm not. Um, you're not bound you know, to in any I, state. I learned about this <laughs> when I had uh, Eric Einspar from the Cornhusker Fly Fishers. I listened to that Did podcast. you listen to that? Yeah, so tell that was me wonderful. about being a master angler. Yes, I do yes. come from, my grandfather was an admiral in the Nebraska Navy, <laughs> but that's as far as our accolades go. Uh, gotcha. You could probably become one if you worked at it. You think so? I think you probably could. Well, tell it's, me. It's such a shtick. Uh, this buddy of mine, Cam, the same dude who I almost perished with chasing the stripers, he was just up in, uh, I think it was Saskatchewan, Manitoba, one of the two, uh, fishing for giant pike. And he catches one. I think he got one that was 44 inches. And out of nowhere, they send him this thing, you know, they tell him, they're certifying that he is, in fact, a master angler. What a shtick, you know, they, you know, he appealed to his ego and his vanity. Yeah. You know, now I got to go back to, you know, but I myself am a master angler. You know, my dad, he, uh, I think it was a five pound bass is what it took to, that was the benchmark in Nebraska to qualify as a master angler. And he got a six pounder on a jitterbug, beautiful bass. Master. You know? And I was like, oh man, I, was, uh, I got Boom. to do that. Yeah. And, and when the way I got there, improbably, you know, like so many people, uh, I grew up, you know, there in Lincoln in Southeast Nebraska, uh, and never realized the cool part of Nebraska at all. We always went up North. Um, that was what we did. We went to Minnesota, right. uh, which is wonderful. It, you know, until I but saw, you had the Niobrara uh, right over there. We right? never knew. We yeah. never, I never went out. I had to leave the state to figure out that Western Montana was really this incredible. Western I mean, Nebraska, Western Nebraska, yeah, yeah. Panhandle, was this incredibly cool place it is too i i love it Uh, my brother and i still go back there and hunt prairie chickens and sharp tails oh cool yeah right you were just doing that right we were uh and and uh, i have fished some of those streams for trout and it's it's pretty cool that's cool Uh, but this buddy of mine had figured out that there was a pond there in the sand hills is clear water and he'd figured out that this thing had giant bluegill and i was like I got to get in on this. It's like a five hour drive from where I was living. I lived West of Boulder at the time in Colorado. And I got to, I got to go try for one of these things. And I went out there. And at that point I had just learned about the Klausers. I had one, you know, who goes with one bug of anything. (laughs) It's like the only time I've ever gone on a quest. And, you know, within 15, 20 minutes, I had caught this giant bluegill. 
I mean, the thing, it was over two pounds. Damn. Uh, I wound up mounting the thing. Sure. You know, I was 24. Of course. Uh, you still have it? Oh, well, that's a funny, funny you should ask. Uh, you should ask Herger what happened to it. <laughs> but, I will. Uh, I have never gotten the straight story on that. <laughs> but And then, of course, I snapped in my, my one miracle bug off in the wind about five minutes later and nothing else. I never caught another one. But I had had this thing, so I went and got him. Got him weighed in, and oh, you got to mount that. And actually, <laughs> you know, to me, trout man, I would never mount any fish at this point. I was young. Uh, both the fish I mounted were the same year. I was twenty-four. Uh, I caught a great big rainbow, twenty-eight yeah. inches. Uh, I mounted that thing. Uh, but to me, trout mounts—they're a dime a dozen. That bluegill mount was like the that's cool, rare. No, you know? that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it weighed, a two-pound bluegill. Yeah, uh, man. Yeah, that's it. it was I'd like mount that today. eleven inches long and almost that deep. It was just a circle. That's cool. Uh, it was a cool fish, but yeah, I I loaned those to uh, Herger years ago when they first bought that shop in Phillipsburg. Oh Flint yeah. Creek outdoors. Oh yeah. Uh, was and, it in the shop? That was the theory. Uh, and, and it involved Labradors. And God, I've had, I wonder if I saw it. I you, went up there right when he first <laughs> opened. I'm trying to remember. I've had labs all, all my days. And, uh, but it, supposedly the demise of this thing came at the hands of, of some of his earlier chocolate labs. Uh, <laughs> there's never been a true story told of the thing, but it's gone. And if it went to a lab, then it's a good cause. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like with so much, I really, I dig European mounts. That's my thing. I me think, too. You know, most, as uh, far as it goes for me, yeah. taxidermy, it's like buying a car. It's never going to look as good as it did the first day. Yeah. They just get dusty and shabby. I know. Uh, and I think it's just, I personally, it's just not for me. Like, I, you know, I teach their own, right? Yeah, I mean, precisely. That's cool. Yeah. But, I uh, can appreciate whatever, the artistry just, in it. It's not for me. My, my, I inherited several when my dad passed <laughs> and like, you know, and you got to keep got them, right? Big ass muley buck. Uh, right? It's a really cool rack that yeah. he shot right, like right outside of Bend, Oregon, when he first moved there. Back you know? when like, it was a town of five thousand. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and the damn thing almost made Boone and Crockett. Yeah. I still have the score sheet. And, oh, cool. And I'm like, well, this needs to go somewhere. So was I that, gave with it that to my buddy. Uh, no, he shot it with the 270. Beautiful. That was before he had the 257. The yeah. 270 was the first gun he bought when he moved to Oregon. Beautiful. And then he got the 257, I think, like in the early 80s or something when that cartridge kind of became yeah. popular. Yeah. You know, it was and like, you still have them both. The rage. Oh, yeah. We're going to the range today to go right on. Yeah, with Lauren. So, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah that, I'm a model 57 is an awesome gun. Yeah. Like it, that thing, you know, uh, like growing up, I, I don't know how many different people I witnessed shoot a deer with that because he just always had it yeah. in those days. We'd be chucker hunting or whatever. And it was more like Montana back then in Eastern Oregon where you just had a general deer tag, yeah. you know, and like, oh, there's a buck. Oh, I got a deer tag. Oh, I got this gun here. And boom, somebody would, yeah. you know, kill an animal with this 257 Robert. Yeah. So it was yeah. just like this laser gun. Right. But uh, it really is, man. It's a good cartridge. It yeah. Was, you know, I totally derailed you. You were talking taxidermy. That's all right. No, no, <laughs> that's all right. But anyway, so the buck, I got in a good place. I gave it to my buddy who's got a spot down in Darby. Nice. And put it in the shed. It looks They're great. Perfect. And then um, I still have the antelope and in in, uh, he's got this cool whitetail mount, but like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I, you know, I just got to find the right homes for them. Yeah. They, they yeah. need to be somewhere, but they're just 
it's not going in my place. And, yeah, no, I like skulls, but that's yeah, just me. I, do, I, do I mean, yeah, I do too. Uh, it's just yeah. well, we're getting off. We're getting way off. Yeah, topic. We're, we we're have left in, left fishing behind. Yeah, we're gonna get in trouble, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let me see if there was anything else I wanted to plug here. Please. No, I mean, I, this is. Yeah, uh, I got endless stories, but uh, oh yeah, here's here's one last one uh, to wrap out the whole elk thing. I once, and, and this whole fishing to, uh, off target items, this one I did target. I, I've, I was on a river that I'm not going to name tributary of a river. Um, and I see this great big elk shed down in the bottom and I was like, there's no way I'm going to swim down to that thing, but I can probably hook it. (laughs) And so I started dredging for the thing. And I kept, I just put on more and more weight because this was in runoff. It was pretty good. You know, there's, this was post runoff, but there was still a pretty good current. Finally, I got down to the thing. <clears throat> I come tight and I've got it. And this was with a six weight. It was a pretty beefy rod. And I thought I was going to break my rod, which would, would have been just one of thousands as you're going to test. But, uh, but I finally, I managed to swing the thing ashore. It's a great big six point. And it's just horribly waterlogged. It was so putrid. I mean, it's just vile. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I've ever smelled anything worse than I've fished with a lot of horrible things. So it was the whole fish. head? No, no. This was just one side. It was a big six point. Huh. But it was just so, it had begun to decompose. Huh. And it had to rejoin the stream after all that. <laughs> uh, that's that, uh, Couldn't keep it. No, I had to let that one go, <laughs> and happily so. Yeah. But it was another good elk, elk trout connection. Elk trout, yeah. yeah. Well, it's probably better for the watershed. Yeah, exactly. I like, yeah, pre- that thing went back in. Yeah, that's, man. That's a, uh, that is a key, probably. key spawning trip for bull trout, and I like right. to think that it went from bull to bull. There you go. You know? There you go, uh, man. Yeah, for sure for it sure. did. Well, well, right on, Dan, man. Thanks again for, for joining us today. It's I really appreciate it, buddy. This has been a lot of fun. And, and I just wanted to say thank you for all your support with my writing over the years. It's meant a lot to me. Um, and uh, I just I really appreciate uh, everything you did for me, um, everything you did for Elk Country, everything you continue to do. Um, and uh, and Godspeed, brother, and, and enjoy uh, enjoy your uh, your calm down time here before uh before you fire something up that i'm looking forward to seeing thank so. you so much right uh, yeah yeah no it's it really has been wonderful and like yeah like we were saying the elk foundation so much better i mean making that magazine i loved it i got paid to do something i loved but i was doing it for this thing that was so much bigger you know these wild places and wild animals that have just you know they've made my life so much richer what a cool thing how lucky is that you know and then really all of the whole thing with editing you know all the freaking proofreading and fact checking you know reading through five zillion drafts you know fighting for the integrity of the magazine all that stuff really what it all all boils down to editing is just helping people tell better stories and that was my favorite part and you told some great ones and you know if we can you know if we help some people along the way hone their craft tell a little better story and you know absolutely it made me a better writer too just working with people's words seeing how people tell stories everybody's coming at it from a different way i learned a lot from you too brother believe me oh uh, man you well, got some well, great stories you, to tell and yeah, i hope you keep telling them it's, oh man i plan on it I, I i you know you know how it is it's just like if 
this is another thing real quick that Dombrowski, ahead, Dombrowski <laughs> told Lauren that his wife told him. Like, if the writing is important enough, you'll make the time for it. You'll find the time for it. Yes. You know? And that struck a chord with me because yeah. I feel like it bothers me when I don't make time to write. Oh, you yeah. Know? And it's hard right now and whatever. That's an excuse. But I can get up early and write again. And yeah. I need to. It's it, it feeds it's a different part of you. It just it does. There's nothing. I mean, I love all this other stuff we've been talking about. But there, there just isn't anything like writing. It just feeds a different part of you, challenges you in a different way. Yeah. And when you get one good sentence, yeah, you know, what a cool right. thing. And you yeah. just, when it feels like, yeah, I got that one, you know, maybe that's the only one in that piece. But if you had one good sentence, you know, take right. them as you get them. Right. Uh, and when you tap into that thing and it start, suddenly starts to feel like, yeah, this is it's coming together after all that frustration and beating your head. I'm like, ah, I'm not telling the thing right. right. It's hard, man. And I'm not trying to make myself out of anything. I'm not. Uh, I am by no stretch a great writer, but oh, that's not we true. all rise no. to the level that we can rise to. That's and the doing true. of the thing is, it, it's a beautiful thing when it works, but it is work. It is. But it's good work. It is, man. Um, and, you know, the one thing you won't lament, which I believe I uh, I read uh, that <laughs> Thomas McGuane did lament, was that he did not spend enough time outdoors fishing and hunting because he spent too much time writing yeah yeah and, and this is coming from a guy who's that. probably spent more damn time outside than we'll ever hope to probably but, you know we all have but our he, aspirations he did and our appetites yeah he lived big still he does did. he does yes so anyway you got the curtis creek manifesto <laughs> there what's up with that uh it's a comic book man but it's a good I love comic it. book no i uh, i know that book oh yeah what'd yeah. you bring it for oh i because i i gave you well i guess i sent that to lauren i, I sent her that quote at the end of the thing which uh you know it, it's about secret spots uh and keeping your mouth shut oh okay uh, it's the very last words in the thing and it's it's i mean you know it's Let's horrible it. oh, oh it's this thing is totally it's a, outdated it's most awesome of its man techniques. i remember that book. i it's learned great. a lot from it i did too if you yeah but oh it's great this is a great way to end it yeah yeah no his final he said is there really a curtis creek possibly my darlings quite possibly but I will say no more, because that is your final lesson, to go forth and seek your own Curtis Creek, a delightful, unspoiled stretch of water that you will cherish above all others. There are few Curtis Creeks in this life, so when you find it, keep it secret well. Amen to that. Amen. Go to thefebruaryroom.com, where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns, and if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.